I'm never ready for a podcast, no matter how much I prepare. Uh, well, I, I really appreciate the transparency of your anxiety. <laughs> I, I was watching the ready state last night, just video after video after video being like, maybe this roller could get me ready for a podcast. Maybe if you just voodoo floss your whole body and then did one snatch or like Isabel plus voodoo floss, then you'd just be limber and ready to go. And hopefully, oh, look at you drinking out of your like ice cup. I know what that is. So um, when I used to drink all day, this was the cup I used. Now I drink all day and it's not the same drink. Now it's just coffee. <laughs> now it's an oys, herbal soy chai decaf latte. Does this coffee reek of, hey, you're an alcoholic? I mean, this cup? <laughs> No, what it means is um, oh. that, that's one of those cups that you freeze in. Um, I'll tell you that Juliet and I, we, because we're children of the 80s, we loved the Diet Coke Slurpee at 7-Eleven back in the day. And we actually tried, we bought one of those cups to just to see if we could reproduce the Diet Coke Slurpee, even though Diet Coke is obviously the best thing in the world for you. I, uh, this, I actually took this from a friend's house one night at a party. I left the party and I didn't want to give up my drink, so I took this home. Well, <laughs> there's this old saying, like, stand was stand and borrow, kneel and beg the return. So if that guy wants it back, he's going to have to come to you. It's not your fault. It's, it's him. I agree. 2,193 five-star reviews. And when I say five-star reviews, I'm not talking about, like, almost five stars. I'm talking every single star is filled in. And that is for the Supple Leopard. Yeah, that book is a unicorn, isn't it? Crazy. Right place, right, place, right time. Um, you know, I don't think you can reproduce that today. You know, we, um, 15 years ago, I found CrossFit. Um, the world was just different. I've said this before, but you can't buy, you couldn't buy a kettlebell in, um, in San Francisco. I had to drive down to the Play Against Sports in Santa Cruz. Um, how many people are doing pull-ups? I taught myself to kip in my backyard. You know, when I showed up at my level one, I actually could kip. And they were like, like Rob Wolf was like, where'd you learn how to do that? And I was, you know, I was like, I learned karate from book. Like I was like, well, I had to figure this out because people were going so much faster than me. So the world has changed radically. I mean, at my level one, we all, a bunch of us did uh, fight gone bad. And the highest score was like 330, right? I mean, 300 is what we think for like 13 year old junior varsity girls who've never exercised before. Right. And as people became more sophisticated of understanding, Hey, if I'm going to really engage with a formal strength conditioning program where I have to have an express full range of motion. And that's part of the, the deal. You, if you show up at CrossFit or show up swinging kettlebells and learning how to Olympic lift and do the basics of gymnastics, tumbling, body weight control, you better have access to your physiology. Otherwise you're going to suck. And it's not about injury. It's about, you can't achieve the positions. Um, Dave Lee's one time turned out he was missing a ton of internal rotation in his shoulders. And uh, he did a workout where he had to do a bunch of overhead squats and stabilize and then jump up on and do the ring dips afterwards. And he, after doing his first set of overhead squats, his, his ring dips went from like 30 to like three. And that wasn't a function of his strength. It was a function of his lack of control in those positions because he just didn't have access to his physiology. So 
what suddenly happened was we had a whole bunch of people who were like, tell me more. Why, why am I, is my time sucking? Why can't I access this position? Why am I missing the bar out in front of me? And that was where we started to see this relationship between incomplete position and also noticing that people who had a lot of common low-level musculoskeletal pain related problems got better when we restored their position. So it, it turned out we were starting to see for the first time ever this relationship between you don't move well as a human, you don't have full access to your power and capacities in, as a person, that may also contribute to why your shoulder hurts. Let's go ahead and chase the highest expression of the movement, right? This is why we teach to the highest expression of the movement, why we always don't say, hey, this is good enough. We always say, this is what the Olympians do. This is the best way to teach. And when we gave people their access back to their positions, we focused on biomotor output. How do we get people to express more wattage, more poundage, more output? That was the game. But it turned out that was the same language of, as restoring people's range of motion and improving their tissue quality. And, and, make, and lo and behold, apparently that book resonated with some people because what we did was pull the physical therapist out. We pulled the doctor out and we said, it's on you to be responsible for your positions. And when things pop up, you need to know how to take care of it. And, don't, and let's not freak out about that. You know, if I ask the average person, you know, who owns, you know, is pain a medical problem? The traditional idea was, yes, pain is a medical problem. And so we'd say, well, just go see your physical therapist if something hurts. Go see your doctor if something hurts. Well, I'm like, raise your hand around the gym. Who's pain-free? You know, who, you know, if you're one of your children, perhaps you're pain-free because you're wrapped in bubble tape and you're, you're made of, you have toddler, toddler joints. The rest of us have histories of being humans. We're imperfect. We don't always eat great. Sometimes accidents actually happen. And so what we realize is now that there's a bigger responsibility for the coach and the athlete engaged in a physical practice, which is you got to own your crap. You got to own your sleep and nutrition and stress and tribe. You've got to own your movement quality. And then you've got to own all of these sort of systems approach to what may be keeping you back from expressing the, the movement. So when we started to have that conversation, that really resonated with people that they could you know, take a crack at fixing themselves instead of waiting till it got so bad for them to go see a doctor, which was the old model. Kelly Starrett, the number one expert on the planet when it comes to intersection of mobility, movement, and human performance. And you, and that was a great explanation about the, the intersection. When I started CrossFit in 2006, um, you were already in the scene. Um, and our path started crossing. It was a very small community. I think there were 300 gyms and it seemed like everyone knew everyone. The everyone, and, and I'm speaking a little bit in hyperbole, I apologize, but everyone was an overachiever. Um, everyone was there for the same reason to get better and to, to make themselves the best they could humanly possible. It was a really, really um, amazing time. The, the club was small and tight and it had a ton of momentum. Everyone was running in the same direction. It was heavy. And, and um, then as the community grew, people started um, separating from the pack. And I don't mean that in terms of better or worse than other people, but um, we were like an exploding solar system. Planets were flying off into their different directions. Those of us who are close started drifting away in different directions. And through those years from 2006 to 2011 or 12, um, mine and your friendship continued to grow as we kept crossing paths at all of these events. And then in 2011, I came and visited you at your house and I did a 30 minute uh, video on you, which I watched yesterday. And man, I don't mean to pat myself on the back or you on the back too hard, but man, that thing still holds water. It's so good. Um, People still quote it at me all the time. 
It's so good. Um, unfortunately, you have to be a super Google star to find it because um, the CrossFit Journal a few years ago was banished into the deep, deep, far galaxy. But um, if you if you Google a little bit Kelly and CrossFit and stuff on, you'll find it. And then, um, and then my words, not yours. This is not Kelly speaking at all. There was um, our friendship kept growing and growing. And then there was a breakfast you and I had. It was me and you and Rory McKernan. And I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember what the topic was, but somehow my something happened at that breakfast where I my insecure and lack of confidence in myself was offended. Not offended is too strong. Maybe my feelings were hurt. Something happened where there was like, like a, eh, and between you and I, in my perception, and we started drifting apart at that point. And so when I, when I, I was I'm in the shower this morning, panicking about the podcast and I keep pounding myself, why are you doing this podcast? Why are you doing this podcast? And it's, I'm like, I think this podcast is to rekindle our friendship for me. I'm not saying that the, any of that stuff that I said is true for you, by the way, but so, um, Thanks for coming on. Part of me was like, why the hell is he doing this? <laughs> well, why would he come on a podcast with me? We, Not part uh, of me, all of me. I, I appreciate that. Well, you know, let's just say this. Um, and I don't even remember what the topic was. It was nothing deeper. It was, it was strictly around um, an idea. It wasn't even like, no, hey, you fucked my wife. Or it, was, it, was, it was nothing, whatever um, it was. It, it was about sort of at the time it was, it, it's hard for people to appreciate sort of the intensity of the original CrossFit crew. You know, I coached you at your level one, right? But Juliet was there. We've known each other. We all grew up together for a long time. The original kids all were, you know, we were very tight. And then CrossFit exploded and in a, in a way that became very difficult to understand all the pieces and everyone's motivation. And that breakfast, you point out, I was making the case that we had this great diagnostic tool, but we could improve position. But the, the, at the time, the perception at CrossFit HQ was very much that I was trying to subvert the program and that I was taking away from something or I was a dangerous idea person. And it was complicated because I had the number one SME, right, at the same time. And yet, um, you know, there was zero opportunity for voices of dissent or improvement in CrossFit at the time. And at the time, you were so close in trying to manage. And, and in full disclosure, I think one of the things that is tricky is that there was a time in CrossFit where everyone was trying to use CrossFit to propel themselves off. And CrossFit was always under attack and always people were trying to steal it and, and, and make it their own. And I think if you're on the inside and you're, it's really difficult to, especially if you're not in proximity to appreciate where people are coming from in terms of their, right, their motives. And I think right. there was definitely a, a definitive time in there where it was just intensity is everything. Stop, stop talking about, you know, re restoration of position because it's anathema to our idea of getting people moving. So, um, you know, one of the things that I think it's, it's tricky when, when you, you know, you've, we've known each other a long time. And, you know, I was just thinking about, uh, I was a regionals up here in Northern California and I was doing some broadcasting and you texted me during the broadcast because it, it was one of the first live broadcasts that was 
being presented with video and audio and you text me, you're like, I had grown a, a nascent beard and you were like, you look hairy and skinny. I mean, that's how long and how like, close <laughs> but I remember going home being like, wow, I'm going to have to either get fatter or shave this beard off because my friend, that's all you said. You look hairy and skinny on the, on the broadcast. And that was the first time I talked to you in years. Uh, well, no, it was just, but just at the time, you know, you were there. So it's, um, you know, by the way, in my book, skinny's good. <laughs> skinny is a compliment. In my, oh, so in my book, skinny is 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 the meanest thing you can tell someone, especially. Oh God, I'm an asshole. I'm body, so sorry. With body dysmorphia, right? Like everyone is. I'm manorexic. I like you and I are the same size. You're strong. I'm always the worst athlete in the room these days. So, you know, as I've gotten older, this is what happens to me. So, you know, I think I think you know we I we weren't making the case around or well enough or at the time we were just out of phase with HQ and subsequently it was easy to, you know, be pushed off with, with the heretics because there were plenty of people. And, you know, and I think, you know, here we are 15 years later where the experiment has run itself a little bit, you know, and people now we can be like, okay, there's, there's enough pie. Let's chill where we go with this. And, um, you know, it's, you know, I never stopped owning a CrossFit. I never stopped CrossFitting, but definitely, you know, um, was perceived as uh, outsider threat for a long time. You know, and when we took our course back, that really sealed the deal in terms of ending a lot of relationships. So this was a great chance to have these conversations again. And this is one of the reasons because we've known each other forever. And I think it is difficult for people to separate out family squabbles over a decade. You know what I mean? Like, you know, some of this is just growing pains. And, you know, and I've even, you know, uh, before uh, the CrossFit blow up, um, you know, this summer, you know, I had even texted Greg a long time ago and said, Hey, I was a really shitty teenager in your house, you know, growing up, you know, and I'm, I'm sure I could have been a better teenager, you know, because it, it, it's, it's complicated. Although you, you have two data points of me being a douche. I only have the one <laughs> of you, um, the, the breakfast hiccup. Um, but I, I, it, I, ne I, always enjoyed your company you're super like any, anyone who knows you it's like immediate friendship and it's ridiculous for there to for uh, from my perspective for there ever to be something that could happen at a breakfast that's not even personal and by personal i mean um you, you didn't you didn't say anything about my wife you didn't come into my house and steal the last piece of cheese like it, well, it was it, ridiculous. And I think proximity passion, is what passion, took yeah. so long. That's right. Also, passion, because we, if we saw passion. each other every day, we could have talked about this five years ago, but, we, but we don't. That's exactly right. And, um, you know, I think one of the great things is now, and this is, this is what you see around the maturity of people who've worked together and in the same field. Like we've been dancing around the same ring for, you know, a long time now. And what we, we really started to reconnect to is the work on your kids and sort of the transparency of you and play. And I think that's, that's what we're seeing now is that, you know, hey, I, you know, uh, have, have a voice around sort of inclusion and performance and mechanics, but also, boy, we can agree on a whole lot of other things. And we can begin to agree by saying what we're doing as a, as a country isn't working, what we're doing as a society isn't working. And we, boy, we, pretty have, we have a pretty good template to get people going. And then you can dial that up and dial it down as you need the same way we've always done with sort of the CrossFit methodology. You know, I think if you, if you step in from the outside, you know, CrossFit looks very intense and I'm like, well, my mother-in-law gets on the assault bike and then does step-ups. Is that really intense to you? You know? So I think what we, 
have this opportunity now is to sort of refocus and recalibrate, you know, in this pandemic, in this, in this society where we're, we're seeing a lot of change and say, okay, what are the real problems that we're going to do? Because it's, you know, without, I mean, just frankly, without the exposure, you know, early on with CrossFit there, you know, there's no Kelly Starrett or there's a different Kelly Starrett. And then secondarily, you know, um, unless I was exposed to the number of coaches and athletes and, you know, you know, I just, I now get to go everywhere and see everything as a result of speaking gymnastics and speaking Olympic lifting and speaking powerlifting and all these things. So, uh, you know, I think what we need to do is uh, refocus and say, what are we getting right? What are we getting wrong? And also what are the interesting conversations right now? Cause there are some really interesting conversations, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to something you said in the beginning here. You were talking about basic the daily story when someone I think you said he did thirty reps and then he went back and he could only do two. Yeah. For, so it's it's funny you say that because yesterday as I was going through all your videos I saw in the one of the Google choices was thirteen point five Jason versus Rich and I clicked on it and I watched a few seconds and I was it's just mind boggling how they connect so many um, chest bar pull ups in a row and and they're doing this minute after minute after minute even if like even when they're just connecting three in a row I'm like how are they doing that right because when I'm done I'm done like I can do one at a time and I always thought just because from I don't know where you hear this shit, but that it was just my muscles were tired and I had lactic acid buildup, whatever that means to me. And But you're suggesting, you're saying, you know, that actually position can change that. Yes, because uh, we, you know, first and foremost, that there's no, the, like when we, when we look at any of the cues or any of the techniques that come from our high level of sports training, it turns out it matches the physiology beautifully. The problem was training. We never always, we always thought sort of training was about physiology. Just get on an exercise bike and suffer and you become a little more insulin sensitive. That doesn't make you a skilled coordinated person. And it took us a second for everyone to appreciate what we had when we got to like, I just, I said this recently on someone's podcast, but let me explain constantly varied high intensity functional movement, right? You are exposing yourself to your full physiologic motions, the normative range. I'm not talking about uber gymnastics craziness, being able to do the splits, although the splits are part of the uh, fitness 100 words or less, just so everyone knows, right? The idea of being able to own your positions there. But what we see is when we get into the bottom of that, there's no difference between gymnastics or throwing or jumping and landing or Olympic lifting or sport. And what we can begin to do then is really appreciate that coaches over hundreds of years have figured out how to get the most out of people. And initially we were all so weak and so unskilled in CrossFit because, and, and I mean CrossFit, I'm saying just the pantheon of skills we had to develop at, we were all limited by our fitness and limited by our skill. There was a time where Adrian Bosman and I didn't know if we could do 135 snatch, uh, 30 snatches at 135 pounds. Like we didn't know if that was even humanly possible. Now, like my 12 year old can do that. Right. I mean, it's really like the world has changed radically. I mean, we, honestly, like Caroline was, you know, she's 12. She was, uh, had a long, busy day, wasn't able to get outside. So she wanted to chill, watch TV. So she swung the kettlebell, the 35, the women's kettlebell a hundred times and did Turkish getups in between. Like that's how the world has changed. Like, I mean, it's just a different world now. And so when we, when we 
first got into CrossFit, we were all protected because we sucked and it didn't matter so much because you weren't very fit and you weren't very strong. You didn't have a muscular endurance. But as you've seen the, the volumes increase, the strength increase, the, you know, one of my coaches, um, or friends, we were watching the games cause I recently had a knee surgery and, um, I watched hundred percent of the CrossFit games this year, start to finish. And we were talking about, I love, I love how you justify that your knee was hurt. And therefore <laughs> my knee wasn't hurt. And I did not watch the games. <laughs> I watched you know. 100% of the games. And uh, as I was like, well, I'm going to just, I'm just going to deep dive here. And, um, one of the things that we saw was that the relative- and let's be honest. And let's be honest. You don't watch the games. You watch bodies move. You're well, Kelly Starrett, right? I'm a, right. I'm you watch bodies move. I want to see. <laughs> right. You know, right. it's what we're. What's interesting is that's very true. What's really interesting is it doesn't matter. You know, um, this is how I think. You know, the the pool assault bike ball slam workout was one I had made my 12 year old daughter do this summer like 10 times in our pool. So, I mean, I'm like, I, we're, we're all in. I think that this is just a wonderful GPP model that also, and I'll get, I'll get back to my idea, can be spun up to become sports preparation. And this is where we lost the narrative a little bit and in, in sort of the, the conversation at the breakfast where we sort of diverged is that I quickly was realizing that when we put a little bit more emphasis on foot position. We put a little bit more emphasis on some of these skills that we were doing. We could go beyond GPP into, I teach these universal skills that aren't just physiology, but are movement skill-based so that when someone can apply this technique, the stability, grabbing something, creating rotation, grabbing a gi, well, it turns out that's the same rotation as climbing a rope or pulling on something. And when we're conscious about the principles underneath, then the people connect the dots and it becomes less physiology. I did more work in this shorter time. So I'm fitter to I'm a more skilled transferable athlete. Right. And if I'm, and, and I think maybe some of that comes from the fact that I work in so many professional sports, choose a professional sport, choose a tier one military group. I get to go behind the scenes and see everyone's stuff. And what I realized is like, well, what's going on at this division one school or this, you know, NFL isn't that much different than what, how I'm training in my gym. The difference is some of the nuance of technique around foot position and foot pressure and skill. And so what we were able to do then, or what I was starting to see is that this, instead of just saying GPP suddenly, because when people come in initially, it's GPP, like you're, you're not fit, you're not strong, you're not skilled. So what the hell are we talking about? Like, why are we doing all of this precious stuff? We need to get you up and spinning, but then all of a sudden I can transfer all of that movement training into something that looks a little bit more akin to sports preparation training, which is not sports specific training. Sports specific training is on the other end of the spectrum, which is I am an elite level athlete playing soccer or rugby. What's the minimum I need to do or what things do I need to do? So my only outcome is that sport, right? That's how we measure the outcome. Not that I do better at Fran that does not translate. Fran is a tool to do better at the sport. So if you're not, unless you're getting better at your sport, it doesn't matter. But the GPP thing with CrossFit, because we're rooted in these, these fundamental movements that are the training lexicon of all formal training, all of a sudden I was like, oh, we can take this and we can, we can spin it up and zhuzh it up and see the incomplete mechanics. And what you've seen over the years with the games, which is the highest expression of the CrossFit, is that people have gotten better and better and better. Like, do you remember this inane conversation about feet out versus not feet out, like right knees out? What a stupid fucking 
conversation, right? Because you can't run, cut, jump, land, have full expression of your hip, jump, jump the highest with your feet turned out like ducks. Comma, if it's just about GPP, it probably doesn't matter as much, right? There's at lower intensities, at lower thresholds, it matters less, right? That's why like Franz Bosch, who's this incredible Dutch coach, he says there's more variation in waltzing than there is in sprinting, right? So you'll see that the fundamental principles at intensity, which is why this thing became the greatest diagnostic tool ever, because all of a sudden- When you say this thing, you're referring I'm to- I'm talking CrossFit right. Okay. Of, of being exposed to these movements is that there's no place to hide. So when I say, you know, and I see the technique of, you know, uh, in between the games this last year, um, they would, they would highlight some games with like Rob Orlando and, and some of those guys. And they're out on the, I think it's 2010. They're showing some of those highlight reels and they're just gassing, like snatching 75 pounds. And I'm just like, wow, we, you know, two toes to bar, catch your breath, you know, and everyone's wearing <laughs> skins. And it's just like, I'm like, what? we were really, really not very fit or very strong there. Right. And if you took, you know, Carrie Pierce and dropped her in, she would have destroyed all of those boys back in the day. Right. I mean, just choose any woman. Destroyed. I was just thinking last night I was like, Tia, is going for her second Olympic sport. That's pretty crazy. She's a pretty good athlete. Remember, she was an Olympian. Yeah, it's easy to forget that because she's won the CrossFit Games. Remember, she's the Commonwealth champion. Yeah, it's easy to forget that. So what we're seeing all of a sudden is, man, this language of GPP can be high performance if we start to argue about biomotor expression through mechanical efficiency. And that is the techniques and the language. And because I'm my own, the, I think my only way, the only good thing that my brain does is I'm pretty good at pattern recognition. I can see where things overlap, right? So we go from Greg saying, I think you need to do these things. People who are good at gymnastics, good at Olympic lifting became good athletes to specifically, here's the relationships in the technique and the positions that we're doing. So it, I suddenly became totally agnostic about the training modalities and completely, um, you know, uh, just obsessed with the positions that people are in so that you could begin to see the overlap of handstands, pull-ups, presses, jerks. Suddenly you could see these overlaps. And more importantly, the way the world had worked previously, the only way that we evaluated your position was by adding more load, right? Maybe adding some speed. But suddenly I was like, well, show me you can do that when your heart rate's high. Show me you can do that when you have to do more than five reps. Show me I can do that when we're competing. Show me you can do that when there's a time pressure. Show me you can do that when you're, you're, you know, you've, you've, you have to change modalities. Suddenly you have to do it not only with a bar, but you have to do it with a dumbbell. You have to do it on a gymnastics ring. You have to do it with a kettlebell. And what you suddenly see is a very skilled person emerge out of that where they, you cannot hide your movement deficit. I have so many ways to challenge your position and make you make mistakes that there's no place to hide in my gym. And that really is the heart of what it is we're doing. And then tomorrow we'll get the rest of it. And the next day we'll get the rest of it. Is this, is this an appropriate metaphor when the car was invented and they could only go 17 miles an hour, Kelly Starrett said, Hey man, we should put seatbelts in there. And there wasn't a lot of attention given to you because it's like, dude, what's he talking about? This guy's out of his fucking mind. And now the cars are going 200 miles an hour. And not only did you have, you had already spotted and developed the seatbelt, the helmet, the roll cage. And then now you can see, holy shit, that was important. The, the, car, be, the car being 
the elite athlete and you know the the 17 mile an hour car but basically you've you've contributed to at this level that was always important but is really really becoming more and more important as humans are pushing their bodies further and further and further I think God, that's I'm fair. so proud of that. Please tell me it's that, good. I really, I like <laughs> that. And to the to the extent that you know, I didn't have the language to describe what I was seeing. Right? There was no seatbelt. There was no seatbelt. You no had seat to belt. fucking invent it. And and by the way, Kelly's innovated a ton of stuff. This podcast is never going to be able to go into everything he's done, but he did. He did invent the seatbelt, and he told you where to put it on your chest and how tight it should be and how thick it should be and all that. And stuff. I will say that's because I've been part of a community that taught me day one, test, retest, share, right? That it's got to be observable, measurable, and repeatable, which meant not just about can we measure fitness? Because that that is a tricky thing to do, right? Especially with the application of that, right? It, that's really recursive thinking sometimes. I do more pull-ups so I can do more pull-ups so I can do more pull-ups. We're now at a place where like you can do a lot of pull-ups unless you're going for the CrossFit games. Maybe we can develop some skills to other places. And by the way, there was a second where <clears throat> we all became hyper obsessed with the gym. It was super fun. And now I'm like, Hey, you probably should go outside and do this thing that we've been talking about forever from day one, which is learn and play a new sport, which I think is some of the language that gets lost or, or is misunderstood from the outside that the idea was, boy, you can do this really intense training by upping the intensity, by upping the degree of difficulty. You didn't have to eat another thousand calories and rest. You could actually have a strength conditioning program that supported your sport, right? That didn't take, do you remember the day when early on, cause so I have a near photographic memory and I remember all of our interactions. I remember all the things I read and where I was. And one of the things Greg said early on was that the wow that explains a lot about you that's amazing <laughs> yeah. i don't have anything like that by the way i can only um no no kidding i can only imagine i have to make something up when someone tells me they have a photographic memory i have to like make something up to understand what that means like i have no it, it, i have no i have no I, I i can't even visualize i don't even see pictures in my head <laughs> well, this, is fucking all, God. This, is, this is the way this has made me a really <laughs> terrible student because I'm like, oh, I, I sat in class and I read it. I got it, right. So I'm good. Let's, let's do another thing. Like I, I had a, when I was in grad school in physical therapy school, I had a baby and I opened the gym, you know, and people, people were getting divorced and moving into the dorms to try to keep up with physical therapy school. And I don't think I was necessarily brighter. I just could assimilate the information. But what that does is it makes me a really good coach because I remember how you move. I remember what's going on. I remember all interactions like I can identify who's competing just by how their movement signatures, like the length of their limbs, not the things they do wrong, but like, Hey, this is how this person is solving this movement problem. So, you know, as we're, I don't remember what we're talking about here, but you were going to, you were going to bring, I'm kind of enticed by it. You were going to bring up, I think an interaction that you and I had something that was in your memory. Do you uh, remember this? But oh, I remember what I was going to say was that what Greg was saying was, the person who spent the least amount of time in the gym made the fastest progress, right? Remember there was an old, like testosterone peaks at 55 minutes. I was like, Oh really? What's happened? Is that why you're spending three hours in the gym now? Right. The idea was to get in and out of the gym and improve your life. And I think because, and I'm guilty of it too. The gym is so fun and it's so easy to track progress that we made the same mistakes potentially that the track and field athletes had made years ago. So bonder Chuck is this incredible, uh, throws coach, one of the best throws coach on the planet. And what he would finally say is, look, you are strong enough 
to throw the shot put. What you need to do is throw the shot put more, not get better at bench. And what we haven't done necessarily with CrossFit because it is just feel, you know, Greg said a long time ago, GPP could continue uninterrupted for 10 years. And I'm like, well, I don't think that's true. I think it's infinite. Like, I mean, are people getting less strong, less fit, less more? I mean, it's crazy that everyone is snatching 300, no big deal. Like that's just the thing that people do now, right? Like everyone's, you know, they're, they're almost cleaning and jerking 400 and they can run five K's and do these things. And what we saw even in the, in the evolution of the CrossFit games was that someone constrained the system and say, by the way, you better be really competent at running. You'd be really competent at swimming. You have to be better at these other sports and the application <laughs> of fitness. And I think that's, that's the thing now where our next task is, okay, we, we know what sort of the minimum dose is, to manage this. We know how to eat. Now let's go into the world and apply it. And then we can come back and say, what do I need more of? Not, I need more of everything forever because th that that's a different need than we are in initially, which was like, you can't do 45 pull-ups. Like what the hell are we talking about? Like that's only 45 pull-ups now, you know, it's just not that big a deal, you know? Um, does everyone eventually have pain? Like, yes. can you, can you, okay. Yes. Oh, thank God. I love hearing that. So you and, can't be born and die at 90 and be like, wow, I never had a bad back or, oh, my shoulder never hurt. Eventually yeah. something does break on everyone. Please no, tell me. Yes. It doesn't necessarily. Oh, break. fuck. <laughs> but, but let's say this, let's, so this is, a, these are important things because if you've been in the gym, uh, chances are you've overdone it or you've gone drinking, overdone it, or you had previous history of injury because you played soccer in college and you, know, you know what I mean? So the idea here is just like I can identify when you suck, like you show up and I get you on the assault bike or we're doing some wattage or something. And I see that your splits are down or you're weak, you're slow today, or you're unskilled. I can be like, Hey, what's going on? You're like, well, I'm super stressed at work. You know, I had a fight with my wife. Um, I didn't, I've really been eating my nutrition. I haven't taken care of my soft tissues. Well, I have this immediate connection between your behavior and your output right? The problem with pain potentially is that the processes are hidden, that the, that pain does not mean tissue damage at all. Pain is a request for change. Pain means, Hey, I need you to pay attention to this. And if you're not sleeping, if you're stressed, if your nutrition isn't great, then you're going to lower your brain sensitivity to the onset of tolerance. It means you're, you're actually, your tissue, none of your tissues actually generate pain signals. It's about your brain perceiving what's going on with your body. So imagine in your training every day, it's hot. It hurts. The training that everyone does, we, I mean, what's the old saying? CrossFit's for everyone, but CrossFit is not for everyone, right? It is hard work. And one of the things I think happens is our belief effects around pain, our culture around pain, all of those things influence how we perceive what's going on with our bodies. Hey, my back is super sore. Why? Because I did 10,000 kettlebell swings and ran 15 miles because that was what I wanted to do once a month. And it's super fun. I don't panic. I'm just like, Oh, I'm sorry. I overdid it. Right. The average person's like my, I've slipped five discs, even though that's not possible. And I have back rabies and must be cancer of my spine. And they catastrophize. They, <laughs> they don't have, you're describing me. You're describing they, me. They don't, they don't have a, we haven't empowered people to say, here's how you're going to take care of it. Make yourself feel better. Self-soothe without THC, without drinking, without ibuprofen, without, right. We have all the tools to manage these simple problems. And simultaneously let's appreciate that 
based on genetics and movement, right? Just because your shoulder hurts and pull up does not mean you're impinged or have like, you just say, Hey, you may have tripped over the line. And that is the conversation where we, it's this tug and play. And, but if we ignore the pain, then it becomes persistent pain or my brain start, I start to work around the problem. It can become a bigger problem. So part of what we're trying to do here is say, Hey, let's treat pain just like information. Like you sucked today. Right. So instead of catastrophizing because you ran and did a bunch of lunges and now your kneecap is sore, that's the same thing as you couldn't do a muscle up or your push ups on rings suck or you weren't skilled enough. So suddenly, when we just change that, that is a revolution in pain science and shifting the whole conversation about who owns it. Because I believe what we've been saying forever is what in CrossFit that the coach is the new health per- healthcare practitioner of the future, right? Who's talking to you about sleep and nutrition and movement? Well, who has the most interaction? Well, it's the coach. Well, I'm also saying that coach should be a combat medic and have a whole bunch of tools to help you self-soothe. And if something's sketchy, we can kick you to the doctor. Hey, that smells like that's not just soreness from bench press and burpees. That's something else going on. Let's triage that and get you out of here. So if we, what I'm realizing is that we can upregulate the role of the coach and we can downregulate the sphere of pain because pain is going to be happen to you, whether you like it or not. And it doesn't mean anything is ever going to be injured. You may get through your whole life and not have any pain, right. Or have an injury, but things are going to be hurting because you suck. And you, and what we have confused for a minute is your immense genetic tolerance and your body's tolerance for silly bullshit. Like we, we, in 15 years, we've seen in and out Fran, we've seen, crazy volumes, pain storms. We've seen people throw their bodies at crazy things and we get away with it for a long time. And in GPP concept, that's good enough, right? We need to get you spun up. Then we can have the next conversation. You don't have to be perfect. We're getting into the best position with the best appropriate movement pattern today for you under some intensity, under some load. But simultaneously, we cannot confuse people's genetic tolerance with the fact that they're doing it right. Just because you're jumping and landing and doing wall balls and your pressure is all off and your knees cave in and you're round and your neck cranks back doesn't mean that's the best position that transfers to the most things. And when we, people have pain, that is an oftentimes a great way to say, hey, I think we can improve your mechanics. How much, pa- how much pain, sorry, this is a horrible question, but I got to ask anyway, how much pain is caused by stress? So like this morning, I'm getting ready for the podcast, pacing around the house, making sure my coffee's ready, making sure I'm getting you the Zoom link, making sure my kids are out of the house, making sure the lighting's right. And my mom texts me, hey, my washing machine slid forward. Can you come over right now and push it back? And I feel my back start to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it, right? But that's I'm no like, different. God damn it. <laughs> that's no and and I'm no dummy. I know I have to let it go. And I know I brought it upon myself. But of course, my instant reaction is, is like, she knows I have a, a podcast with Kelly Starrett and I'm taking it serious as a fucking heart attack. Like, why is she doing that? There's no there, there. There's no end to that blame game. I'm saying so I, I reel it back in, take a few deep breaths. But how much in, in, the, in the world you see, how many people are, are fucking themselves by not being able to manage their stress? Oh, what we've realized is that most many of us in this high intensity community are managing our stress with exercise. It's exercise addiction. We are smashing ourselves. So now I think I'm having to face that now. I think I'm having to face that now at 48. Yes. I'm 47. How much volume is enough volume? What is the minimum therapeutic dose? My body looks very, I've been doing CrossFit for almost 17 years. Right. Wow. 
yeah. it looks a little different for me now than it did before, right? Oh, way different. And there's some things I cannot do and don't need to do so that I can do my thing. And why? Because I have the experience. Just because we have 150 movements in our, our pantheon, just roughly, we'll just say, doesn't, I only need 100 to go to the Olympics or, or be rad or look good naked, right? You know what I mean? So what, what really I hear is um, in that is do you feel safe in a community? Do you feel appreciated? So the shutdown has shown us that our gym wasn't about training. And our gym has closed because of the crazy behavior of, you know, gyms are dangerous places, warehouses with tons of ventilation are dangerous, but you can go shopping at Best Buy, right? Like we've lost our minds. We, we got shut down. We got, we call it flattened by the curve. And we, is that hard for you to say you're not afraid of the mob saying coming after you? Like, like I can say it cause I don't have a job, <laughs> but well, no, I, because I still, but, we, 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 but you represent so many people. Can you say that? Sorry, go ahead. We squandered this opportunity to, it's easy to wear a mask. It's easy to socially distance. It's easy to be safe. It's easy to have rapid testing, which we don't. It's easy to like, you know I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that we, we, we squandered some opportunities here. And I'm not saying that like, this is a gigantic conspiracy to drive people out of California so we can turn, you know, red States into blue States. I mean, that's not what this is about. This is about, you know, is this, if we really are saying is this best practice then, and we need to shut things down, everything gets shut down. So here's an analogy. The Wars Power Act, War Powers Act, made it really difficult for us to go to war as a country. We have to get Congress involved, and it takes us a minute, and we have to roll. And then you lose your UPS driver, and your your, te- your fifth grade teacher is deployed, and it is a pain in the ass to everyone. The problem with what I'm seeing right now is that it's not a pain in the ass to everyone. We've indiscriminately shut down small business. And we haven't made everyone pay. So if you want to pay people's attention, everything is closed except grocery stores, pharmacies, and gas stations. Everything. You cannot shop at Urban Outfitter. You can't, you know, go to Best Buy. You can't, you know, shop at some of these places. You know, and what we're seeing is this sort of unequal, uh, you know, application of this of this protocol of trying to uh, protect people, and that is the thing that has driven me stinking crazy. But without an aside. Because that you know it was it was brutal to break up our community. What we saw was this was the only place in people's lives where they had they got some unconditional positive regard. They felt safe. They could touch base with someone. Our coaching staff, our physios, hey, something's going on, or what? Like we were the place where people could come in and sort of recalibrate their lives, nutrition, sleep, all those things, and to the point that we sort of made at the beginning, we now have ways to begin to identify, are we training hard enough or are we training too hard? Because in the beginning, no one was training hard enough. That was the problem. And now it is easy to do so much volume that and, and cover up an addiction or a control need with more and more volume, which is by the way, CrossFit is not the first community to do this. Let's go look into triathlon and running and swimming and any other obsessive group of people but now we can we have whoop and we have all these other ways where we can say, hey, look, your resting heart rate sucks and you're not getting the most out of the buck, right? It used to be I had a better, same, worse. If your Fran time went down or your some of your benchmarks and all of a sudden you're getting weaker, we can ask the question, what's going on? And now we have a, sort of another set of metrics that help us understand and we're just more experienced. You know, I think I think some of the criticism leveled at us early on was valid because 
it was brand new and we didn't know how to talk about it or dose it, right? So from the outside, it looked crazy and we did some crazy stuff. Now that is not the game. No one just sails in off the street and gets thrown into the meat grinder because you can't handle it, you know? Um, do you remember Pukey the Clown? Yeah, intimately. <laughs> no one pukes anymore. What happened? So now hmm. Pukey the Clown is no longer Pukey the Clown. No one vomits in, in the gym anymore. Why is that? Why is that? Because we have Soul Cycle, because we have Peloton, because we have Orange Theory, because boot camp. They're getting prepped before they come in, you mean? I mean, they've done two years of Soul Cycle first. And uh... <laughs> everyone's been exposed to high intensity exercise. Early on with us, man, it was the first time anyone had ever worked at that threshold, at that intensity, right? And, um, and you know, it's, it still gives some surprises, but no one vomits anymore. Why? Because we've gotten more comfortable, you know, I mean, look, look at what's happening with TRX. TRX suddenly has kettlebells and slam balls and wall balls and ring rows. And I'm suddenly, I'm like, oh, I know what this is. I've seen this before. Uh, this is <laughs> right? And they're right to do it. I get it, right? Because right, they're right, like, right, right. Like, hey, we need to introduce some of these other things. I, I totally get it. But suddenly drop into anywhere and you're seeing couplets and triplets galore, you know, and you can, you can call that whatever you want. Metabolic conditioning, you can, you know, we've lost sort of, the tidal wave that was the movement is now an inch deep and miles wide and it's influenced everything. And it's, it's hard to appreciate where it started and how radical it was when it started. Completely, completely. Um, and that's a, that's a whole podcast in itself. Just yes. what people take for granted that you couldn't take for granted 10 years ago. I want to go back to something you said about conspiracy theory and about what's going on here and is whether to change red states or blue states even if there's conspiracy everywhere, what the really the only important thing that Kelly said there, or not the only, the most important thing that Kelly said there is it's a squandered opportunity. Don't waste your time looking around for who shot the arrow. This is my wife. My wife told me this. Don't waste your time looking around and trying to figure out who shot you in the eye with the arrow before you pull the arrow out. Okay. Like tend to yourself. Right. Well, Don't worry about who's driving the train. If you're standing on the track, get the fuck off the track. That's right. Then look at the train. It's so. And what you're doing is you're distracting yourself and you're avoiding the truth and you're avoiding making yourself better and you're avoiding personal responsibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, well, it's what it, it is pretty frustrating. So right now, um, this is a great opportunity to go trans party, trans affiliation and say, let's give ourselves a score, right? Because the fitness community and frankly, one of the benefits of the shutdown is that some of the silly bullshit is going to die because right before the shutdown, it was feeling out of control. I mean, definitively out of control. What we were seeing, I was like, I was like, oh, CBD nail polish, right? All the, you know, there was- <laughs> Is that true? Are you making that up? I'm making it up, but everyone <laughs> oh, had a, like it was just the amount of stuff oh, they were trying good. to sell people, and right. the, and the 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 preciousness. I would say, okay, what's the goal of a wellness community? Is are we truly a wellness community? Well, let's go ahead and look around the world. Well, it turns out we're the fattest country, we're the least fit country, and and those are big complex problems. That's not just an issue of will. But if you have a solution or you need to go into a community and start that solution, look what Sin is doing with the NYPD in, you know, in predominantly, you know, communities of color in New York, right? Black 
Puerto Rican communities. He's like, Hey, let's create a club. Let's get cops working out with kids. Let's teach these kids to become coaches. Let's give them jobs. Let's right. That's the, the bottom line, because this is now about national security. We can't actually deploy an army because we're too fat and too out of shape that we're seeing that COVID is ripping through communities of color. Right. And all of a sudden, if you take back a step back again and say, okay, fitness community, I'm going to give you a grade and you get a D minus. Why? Because you haven't changed shit in the world. What you've done is made it so that, you know, you can have better abs on Instagram or you can do your, you know, your fitspo thing. Right. But what you haven't done is changed the cute culture and community at all. And, you know, however you want to get there, is fine with me. I really am an agnostic. We can argue about what we think are the best tools to have the best outcome, right? How many days a week do you need to squat? What kinds of training do you do? Do you expose yourself to this position, right? That can be ongoing. That, that's a conversation about tactics. But fundamentally, we have failed the people around us. And we're trying to do it by saying, hey, look at how much fun we're having. Look at what's going on. And, but we are, to your point, we're going to have to wake up and realize that we're going to bankrupt our health system if we continue on down the path. We're going to have a whole lot of people who aren't going to live to 100 without severe help with all the drugs and all the dialysis and all the things. It's like a tidal wave that's coming. And what we've realized, of course, is that you know my next door neighbor is this hilarious writer. She's been on. She's a writer for famous shows. She's now diabetic. And, you know, she was like, she's like, Kelly, I've changed my diet. I'm walking. And I was like, you need to go walk further and walk up hills and breathe hard. Like, and I was like, and here's a backpack you can carry. Right. And here's two walking sticks. So you don't fall down and you feel scared. Right. And she was like, oh my God, my blood sugar is better. I'm like, oh, welcome to intensity. Welcome to the thing we learned drives the wheel. So what we, if to the, the point that you're saying about pulling the thing out of our eye is how do we create a more metabolically intact society? And right now, man, we, it's so bad. And instead, we keep selling shit to people and gimmicks and fixes. And the fix is you need to be in a community. And every day, you need to do something for your body as a start. And then we need to make sodas illegal on school campuses, like bring a soda on campus, like bring a gun on campus, right? We need to have some interventions. CrossFit needs to become a high school sport. The Spartan race needs to become a thing that every community puts on themselves. Like we have to really fundamentally change. You know, I've been, wor- I've been working with, you know, look, you're going to unfollow me. Fine. Whatever. I started working with president Obama in the last year and a half of his administration. Right. And then I've been working with Joe Biden for the last year and a half, two years, trying to get him spun up and part of his professional team. And there's a chance that Julia and I will be on the presidential physical fitness council. And one of the things that we're seeing is we are going to go right after elementary school and middle school because that's where this starts. And what we're seeing now is by the time you come in and you're so metabolically deranged and you're two or 300 pounds and it's really hard to turn And, and eight years old and eight years that's old. Right. That's right. And <laughs> it's hard to turn that ship around when what we know is it's got to be fun so we can gamify fitness. We can keep people's exercise ADD. Like my wife has exercise ADD. She likes to be entertained. And now I'm like, great. We don't have to go put your arms over your head in this way today. We can put your arms over your head in this way today, right? There's so many ways to make this entertaining, to, to bond people to each other. And we start to strip out some of the carbohydrates, start to get people more insulin sensitive. Look, people show up with crazy autoimmune diseases all the time in our community. 
And I'm like, great, you have two choices. You can do Whole30, you can go Plant Paradox, or you can go Carnivore. Which one of those things speaks to you, right? I don't care. It doesn't matter because they're all going to say. So if you like to do soul well cycle, said, listen, well said. I don't said. care. You want to go to church and do Pilates and press kettlebells? It doesn't matter. But at some point, what we're getting back to, just the same way we can say these are the things you have to train. This is the way you have to move. We can now say these are the things that make you human, and you either engage them in there or not. And what we're going to have to do is start to say, hey, look, this is as a society, we're going to have to change this. And shutting down gyms is maybe not the best way to do that. It, 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 it's, it's funny that you say, uh, uh, go ahead and unfollow me. So in the last few months, I've lost a thousand followers because I've just been pounding the, you, the missed opportunity and the, the no sugar thing. And it's so funny. I've been doing that. You know, I feel like my whole life, but I've really ramped it up in the last year, the no sugar thing, that sugar is really killing you and how serious it is. And that basically, in, in my opinion, like if you quit sugar and refined carbohydrates, COVID just passes by you. You don't even have to look at it, in my opinion. But Someone DM me just two days ago goes, holy shit, I've always thought you're a quack, but I saw this article talking about how bad sugar is for your gut. And I'm like, that's not even my battle, what it does to your gut, right? I'm just talking like, it's, it's everything. And going back and, to and what you were saying about the about this? If you actually have some muscle, right, you can actually tolerate a little bit more sugar. Whoa. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, there's, if, you have, if you have no capacity in the system, sugar is just like a fire. If, if you have a huge engine, then you can dabble with a little bit of sugar the same way you can dabble with some alcohol once in a while or, you know, like that's not the glass of champagne that's killing you. That is not the problem. It's not the wine you have with your dinner with your family two times a week. That is not the problem. It's the, it's the two bottles of wine that you're drinking every night to, to cope. It's the sugar that you're using to cope. It's the, it's, it's, you know, that is the problem. And to your point, I think it's fair to say that like, we can't talk about the fact that you and I went to high school, chances of us being diabetic, one in 4,000. Now your kids and my kids, I am 100% Caucasian, upper middle class. My kids have a one in four chance of being diabetic. Doesn't matter color of skin, doesn't matter how much money your parents make, it's that, that prevalent. Then add in the fact that if you're a black woman, the chance of you being diabetic are two out of three. If you're a Latinx oh. man, it's two out of three. So at some point, we're going to have to have a bigger conversation about systemic racism and structural racism, where you don't have access to parks and you don't, and the, the only food around you is cheap, shitty food. And the fact that you're stressed because we live in a racist country that sometimes makes it very difficult for you to be engaged, right? Those are all part of the conversations we're going to have to untangle. And that starts by being a community. This communitarianism idea, like, look, federal, it's important we have a strong federal government. I even believe in the power of state government. Maybe right now I'm a little bit dis dis disenchanted with our state government, but where we can make changes is in our community and in our, in our neighborhoods. So open up your gym, make it the, the, you know, the Savon Home Health Center and start bringing your neighbors over. And that is the only way we're gonna actually transform society, not big down, it's gotta be bottom up. What do you think about like arguing people's limitations for them? When you said about, you're talking about like e eating healthy and people not having access to healthy food. I think there's a misunderstanding and I think it comes from a lot of, um, like people think organic is healthy. Right. When the truth is, is if you go into a store, if what I'm saying 
unfuck me if I'm wrong. If you're hungry and you don't have a lot of money, a pack of hot dogs um, with the lowest amount of sugar and some hard cheese is a thousand times better than a bag of Fritos and a baby Ruth bar and a seven up. And of course, of course, the shittiest burgers you can get at McDonald's, like go to McDonald's, get all the burgers, and, throw the buns away. Eat all yeah. The okay, good. Okay. And that's something that, that I keep. It's got, we can argue food quality next. We can argue how many times a week and which bench press variation is best once you're benching, which is the, the, how we started this conversation, right? First things first, let's go ahead and get our shit organized oh, nice. around this. Then we can start to turn the dials a little bit, right? And then we can argue like who's got the best macro counting system, right? That is a high level conversation versus, hey, you haven't eaten any protein today. And, you know, the first thing you did was chug a, a liter bottle of soda when you woke up. You learned that somewhere. That's conditioning somewhere, right? That everyone comes out of an environment and an experience, whether that's a training environment, a nutrition environment, how your parents thought about exercise deeply influences your experience with exercise. How your parents think about nutrition deeply influences that. And what I'm saying is we're going to have to think slightly differently, which means we're going to have to go into our elementary schools right now. You know, Juliet and I have a nonprofit called stand up kids and it's about shifting kids from sitting sedentary desks, plus all the sedentary sitting homework into standing dynamic desks. Let's just change the environment. So if you don't want to have cookies, you don't want to eat cookies, don't buy cookies, right? If you don't want your kids to sit all day long, make it very difficult for them to sit all day long, have them sit on the floor or stand and they can go back and forth and back and forth as they want. Total autonomy. You want to stand and fidget? You want to sit on the ground? Great. You know, that's a Turkish get up a hundred times a day, right? So, you know, chain your daughter's phone to the, to the corner of the bed. So she has to get up and get to the phone. I mean, there's a million ways we can do this, but you know, what we have to be thinking differently about is where we're going to apply these problems. So our nonprofit is engaged in some long-term research with Cal Berkeley with, with Title I schools about trying to unravel this obesity epidemic. Because we feel like, look, it doesn't matter where you live, what color state, what color your skin is. Fat kids, we normalize fat. We tell everyone it's okay. People don't even identify themselves as fat anymore. The obese people are the fat people. Now we have a new category for children called supermortally obese kids. And what I'm saying is, we have to start this problem and this education earlier so that we can give people a fighting chance to at least make the decision versus unprogramming them and unfucking them later on, which is so hard. It's so hard to change behavior. So let's just change the behavior or have a different behavior from the start. The baseline is so fucked up. So every time the media reports healthy person died of COVID, I begin to Google them. And my list is 97 long and 95 of them I have found. And, and two of them I couldn't find. And of the 95, 93 of them were obese, like minimum 50 pounds overweight. The other two, one of them was a pro cyclist and, and, and we know what they eat, right? And we know that they're notorious for not having strong immune systems. And the other one was a guy who I would guess is hypertensive and juiced on steroids. I mean, he was massive and red. Well, he, but the others, there was a kick, right? The people, right, happen, right. right but don't, but, but CNN reporting or Fox reporting a kid who's 100 pounds overweight, 16 years old, so fat you can't see his eyes, so obese his ears are sunken into his head, and to report it as healthy is malicious. You're basically resetting the reader's baseline as that is healthy. And, and it's, it 
it boggles yes. my mind yes. that they can get away with reset. I mean, it's abusive and negligent to the to civilization. And what we have to then say is, this is a system that failed this child. This system yes. failed. So the anger isn't at the kid or why didn't this no. decision? And I want to be really clear. I, I, I know what yes. you're saying because of the, the work that you do and how you talk about this, but it's crucial, crucial that we really begin to have a very difficult conversation about these things. And, you know, we're going to have to unravel the system that allowed or created that kid or made that kid. And it's going to become more and more tough, like, you know, technology, more or less, you know, time on laptops at school, more or less, right? You suddenly see that, you know, we're not doing things like walking anymore. We're not doing things like, you know, playing. Every, I mean, everyone recently, like they said, uh, it was New York Times put out a piece about, you know, losing weight, you 300, 300, like you had to burn 3000 calories a week to really change weight. That was something that came up. A and day or a week? A week. And okay. what I think is interesting is, of course, calorie in, calorie out, whatever. That's not really the truth. But more importantly, sort of in that greater context of, of this thing is that people say, oh, 40 minutes of intense exercise every day is required. I, yeah, that's fine. You know, I, I, you know, I get that. And you're like, no, you did not get 40 minutes or 60 minutes of exercise <laughs> six times a week. Like you're not even close. And so what we've seen is we have not made the case for the things that make us human. We've not been able to have a real honest conversation about and a conversation that doesn't blame people. Like, look, if you are a triathlete and you came into CrossFit early on, you got your ass kicked and it's not your fault. It's not that triathlon is dumb. It's that you were never exposed to some of these training things. Right. And so let's take that same humility and apply it towards, um, you know, apply it to some of these other kind of problems or those issues. There is a gigantic hole in who owns what, who owns pain, who owns health of their family, who owns food quality. We have just completely shot the bed over it. Big industry, big soda, big chocolate, big agribusiness. It's a, it's, a, it's a disaster. And how could the average person who had no experience with this possibly wrap their heads around it, right? So you can begin to see how what complexity there is in trying to untangle this Gordian knot. But all you need to do is work on your corner of the knot. Rob Wolf will work on his corner of the knot. Diana Rogers work on her corner, right? We can, we can come in a thousand different ways. Amy West, you know, was working with her physicians, trying to change her side. Like, you know, we need more grassroots gyms where people are hanging out together, dicking around in the gym. That is how we'll un unravel this thing. Or we won't. And this is, this is what we deserve. We haven't, we haven't <laughs> yeah. taken care of everyone. Um, um, we've reached an hour mark. Are you going to run away from me? Should I ask no. my last question? No, no. Okay. Let's, I'll talk as long as okay. you want, buddy. Okay. Um, let's say, let's say you're, let's say you're uh, 10 years old and your parents do something that pisses you off and you hold on to it till you're 12 and you're 14, nothing major, but let, or whatever variant you want from the worst horrific thing to just not so bad, but you're pissed at them because they got a divorce or whatever you're, you know, and at some point you, you reach an age where you living with that is, there's no value to it. I don't think that there's a value to it. You have to, you have to forgive. You have to transcend. Do you do that before they're dead? Do you wait till they're dead? But at some point, your happiness is your responsibility. 
Is that fair? I use the parents as just the example because so many people have issues with their parents yeah, as they get yeah, older. I think, I think that is absolutely true. And as difficult and as, as it is to change your diet and to lose weight and to get healthy, the people who, who, who are on that path, I think, need to share the information. It's, it's, it's sort of their obligation to keep sharing the information and be good role models and good examples of it. But it's also important to tell the truth that, hey, at some point, it's all going to be on you. I can never do 100 burpees and be like, hey, Kelly, I know you're tired today. I'm going to give you 50. Don't worry about doing them. Like this, that's the crazy thing about this journey, right? Because at some point, and you kind of nailed it for me too. I used to be addicted to movement and working out, but now I'm older. I can't do it as much. So now I've really started focusing on my diet, like crazy focusing on my diet. And I didn't realize... And I, and I didn't realize that until you just explained to me. It's because I'm, I'm hurting more and more physically. <laughs> it's kind of pushed me to start watching more what I'm eating. Um, and, that, and I feel like that's the real, that's, that's, that's like the crux right there. At some point, you have to take ownership, 100% responsibility. Like this is no, nobody can make this journey for you. Uh, this is th- hang on one second. My dog is being okay, crazy. Yep. One second. Yep. Yep. So personal responsibility here, versus being a good role model versus not enough. It's not enough because okay. people are worried okay. about getting through their day and surviving, right? They're just trying to cope. <clears throat> okay. So how much willpower do you have coping at the end of the day to change everything? We, people can't even begin to unravel that. What I'll tell you, cause I know, because I live in a community of, of people who think our family and our friends are insane right? So what you have to do is appreciate that there's no, until we incentivize systems approach, until children have to have movement competencies to pass on with PE, until corporations start, they're not penalized, but until they're incentivized, right? Physical therapy is a really great example of a system where you come in, everyone gets paid, your problem maybe gets solved or doesn't. I don't actually change anything. I just get you out of pain and you can go about your life again, right? And I'm actually not even paid as a physical therapist in the traditional model to actually restore your full range of motion because uh, you ran out of visits and your copay was $30 and you're not, you like to do your exercises? Sure I did, right? I mean, it's just, there's no incentive in the system. You know, one of the things I've seen is, you know, I was at a, 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 a breakfast at the CIA talking with all this senior leadership and some of the military groups and paramilitary groups there had started assigning a dollar amount to the every, the amount of training for every one of the soldiers. And so when that soldier went out cause her knee hurt or hurt his back hurt, they were like, Oh, that's a $3.7 million line item. We crossed off. And then suddenly everyone in command was very interested in keeping that person engaged. Right. As soon as companies begin to appreciate that wellness, as long as we work on this provider payment system, right, that as long as the, you're getting your health insurance through your work, that system is a choice The we're not and, and the people wake up. We're not going to change the system because the system doesn't reward what we're currently doing. The system right, is not incentivized until people realize that, hey, if I make a better work environment because this person's on my dime, and I have fewer absentee days. I have fewer presency days. The number one reason people go see a doctor now, musculoskeletal pain. That's the number one reason. Over 50% of the problem is musculoskeletal. So what we can say is, I don't care what's going on. I don't care if you think you have the secret school program. What you're currently doing is not working. 
we're not, we're demi humans right now. And you can see how you lose your mind or you can go down and chase a rabbit hole. Like big soda is the issue or exercise intensity is the issue. It doesn't matter what you think the problem is. It's part of the greater problem until we change the incentivization and where we begin to expose kids to these thinking, it doesn't matter. Nothing's going to change. So you can be like, you've got to take personal responsibility. I agree. But until you're incentivized to do that, until you see the upside, don't do this because you may get cancer when you're 70, right? We, if all these people are like, hey, you know, you will get COVID, you'll get some mystery disease because you're insulin insensitive and you don't move your body. It makes you much more likely to, to, to die as the only, you know, uh, breadwinner in your family. That doesn't change. It's not enough change behavior. There's no incentivize there. So we have to structurally think about constraining the environment. Uh, you know, and I think this is one of the ways we stop. We start talking. I was like, look at your kid's feet jumping on the ball, right? They suddenly you constrained the environment. So the kid has to do the right thing. And then that right thing becomes the, the normal thing, the, the, the modeled behavior. But it, this health thing is a gigantic, gigantic problem. I was just talking to my wife about it this morning. Punishment never worked on me for a, as a kid. Weird. My mom would t- my mom would tell me you can't watch TV. So what would I do? I would wait till she turned the TV on and sneak to a spot in the house where I could watch it. You tell me that I can't go out on weekends. I sneak out the because I'm in trouble. I sneak out the window. That's right. But whenever I incentivize my kid, like I told him, if you ride the skateboard a hundred days in a row, well, actually, I didn't tell him that. But after he rode the skateboard a hundred days in a row, I surprised him with some ice cream the ultimate drug. And he said, when can I get more? And I said, at 200 days. And guess what he's doing? He's going to make it to 200 days. And I'm not suggesting ice cream is the best incentivizing, but he would have never done it if I would have th- done it with through threatening, right? Now he has some sort of reward. He's been incentivized. And at first I was like, I didn't want to tell anyone that I did stuff like that because I thought it was bribing. But another parent goes, no, no, that's incentivizing. I'm like, all right. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be that. Sorry, one more thing. I also, he asked me one time, he said, how can I get strong like you? And I, and I didn't tell him I wasn't strong, but I said, you just have to exercise a lot and eat right and especially stay away from sugar. And that stuck. You're like that incentivized him. He wants to be strong. You were like, you mean strong like me and Matt Frazier? Totally. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, that makes perfect <laughs> sense. I totally get that. Yeah, totally. You want to be like me and Tia? No problem. Yeah, so right. One of the things that you know has come up in this is I get a lot of questions from parents saying, "How do I get my kids to do X exercise?" And I was like, "It's all about play. It's all about so." If we come back to the CrossFit gamification, we you know men will die for points is a classic Gregism. And what we saw was, yes, people will cheat, move like shit, win at all costs to get a point, right? And so maybe that wasn't always the best thing to, to value 100%, but it gave us a way of incentivizing people to work hard because you, you don't want to be ranked last, right? We can still have movement quality. We can still, but we can recalibrate that. So with your kids, you know, if you want your kids, like my daughter, Caroline, she is going to be 5'10". She's this Amazon. She can put out, she's 12 years old. She can put out 600 calories on the assault bike, right? Like she is. She's 5'10 and 12 years old? No, not 5'10 yet. She's only 5'7". And, oh, okay. Uh, oh, she's still <laughs> two inches taller than me. Damn it. <laughs> so, but, you know, my other daughter, like Caroline will do some workouts and stuff. But my other daughter, as soon as she's in a group, as soon as there's play, as soon as it's social, then she gives a crap, Right. And for me, I'm like, we're going to go do front squats and assault bike. And they're like, dad, that's the dumbest, most boring thing. But if there's five kids around and it's a game, 
we can, we can give it context. And that is what we've done. We've stripped down exercise out of its constituent parts, which is competing, fellowship, community, humility, fun. We, stri- we ripped out the fun out of the gym. You have to do eight sets of two at 72.4%. That's workout A, B is this conditioning PC is your assistance work. Dude, that sucks. That is just like, I eat, I mean, that's like eating like Neo did on the Nebuchadnezzar where they, that food came down the tube and had all the vitamins and minerals. <laughs> that's what we've done with fitness instead of giving it the context of, man, that was really fun. I saw my family. I saw my friends. I gave people shit. We, I played around. Fitness will happen as a side effect. That is where we have lost our mind. Metabolic fitness, weight loss will all happen as a side effect of the fact that we've forgotten what it's like to play. And if you want your kids to do those things, incentivization is great, but context and playing community is everything. Um, I don't do traditional CrossFit workouts with my kids. Um, they're, I mean, they're only three and four, four and six, two, four-year-olds and a six-year-old. And so like, you know, like the, the only one we've done is maybe like something like Grace or Isabel, but something that's just like so basic, but like, I don't usually like write wads and here's the stopwatch or anything. Yeah. But, but a few days ago they came in there, all three of them together. And they said they want to do a workout that lets them use the marker. Cause they see my wife and I write with the marker on the board counting our reps. And I go, Oh, okay. So I started making them these simple wads, but they didn't care about the workout. They wanted to use the marker, right? They wanted in between rounds to be able to write on the wall like mom and dad. I'm like, yeah, no problem. And they and I made them two, six short. I made them one couplet. They did it. I made them another couplet. They ended up being in there for two hours and did six workouts so that they could keep writing on the wall. And there you go. There's the fun piece, right? It is that. And I, you know, that's where, look, you know, we can begin to really take a crack at what's going on. You know, I think- you know, I made this case in the uh, Knees Out podcast, you know, uh, with Russell that, um, you know, I was like, hey, women are tearing their ACLs at four to six times the rate of men, six to eight times the rate of men. Like, what are you doing about it? You know, and what we're doing about it is, is a whole bunch of apologetics. And at that level, it's really important that the feet become straighter and that we work on those positions and mechanics so that we don't contribute to the issue. It's less important for my children who are learning to play and I don't need to suck it out but I can constrain the system. So what we're seeing in like motor learning and motor theory, for example, and you'll see this with your kids, kids love, you know, kids sit, they, they need a little bit of skill. You'll start to see them. They'll be moving with their feet out, right? As soon as you have them move things on one leg, make the system higher, the brain will be like, nope, can't absorb force with that foot out. So you'll see foot start, start to turn out. So when we add complexity, when we add constraint, when we add play, the brain begins to solve it or you say things like, oh, you have to jump and land with your feet together until you have the control and I'll tell you when. And so we either constrain the environment by making it so difficult that the brain protects itself or we constrain the environment by adding in one movement that blocks. And all of a sudden you will get practice and repetition and practice and repetition. And then it's not something that we have to untangle later on. And what we're seeing is that it's not just about working hard, which was the original ideas that we, none of us are working hard, but now we're saying, hey, it's okay to put skill and be limited by skill in this position for a moment. That's okay. It's okay to say that some of the benefits we got in CrossFit weren't because we did more work for less time. 
It's because we became more skilled and more coordinated people. That was part of the side effect of the kinds of training we did. And that lent itself to a whole bunch of uh, other things. What year did you meet your wife, Kelly? I met her in 2000 in Chile at the World Whitewater Championships. And now it's 2020. Yeah, we, uh, we're coming up on our 21st year together, 22nd year together. Is that right? 21st year, 22nd year, I think something like that. And she is the CEO of the Ready State? She is the boss lady. Her brain, her beautiful brain. Juliet's an attorney. She was the CEO of San Francisco CrossFit. She ran such a badass business there. Um, she, her brain works in ways that mine don't. And I'm so lucky to work with my wife because the things that she gets away with or the things I'm able to get away with because her brain is this beautiful CEO brain. It's insane. And she's the greatest training partner I ever had. Is it, is it a training partner? You guys work out together. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, was there ever a period where you guys stopped and then came back together? No, no, because uh, once we had the, my wife and I used to work out every single day together and, and then we had the kids and now for, it, we've drifted. Well, that's, that's different. There's sometimes you're like, it's time to go. You need to go. Get <laughs> yeah. I'll do this. You go get it done. Otherwise, yeah, that's very different. But over 20 years, Juliet has been my number one. In fact, we won't pick up a new sport or activity without the other person because we don't, we're like, look, life is crazy enough that we don't need to train apart, exercise apart, create other skills apart. We need to do things together. So people are like, you should come kiteboard. I'm like, well, unless Juliet's into kiteboarding, I don't have time for that shit. So, you know, we, we, we both are heavy duty mountain bikers. Mountain biking is our jam. That's interesting. You say that. So my wife came up with this idea to, to just fast one day a week, uh, 24, 36 hours without eating one day a week. And she wanted to try that for a while. And so of course I was like, yeah, I'll jump on that bandwagon with you. And then she's like, Hey, I'm switching my day from Monday to Sunday. You don't have to. I'm like, I don't have to. (laughs) <laughs> like of course i yeah <laughs> I'm like, I'm I, what, I, what is she talking about of course yeah. i have to yeah that, that's i think it's this, that exact same thing because um if the the thing is someone walks into the gym for the first time and you know, i'm like and i tell them I'm like hey you're gonna be doing an olympic lifting competition in like three weeks like you know or a month or you know and you'll and you'll change the way you look and you'll buy these crazy crossfit shoes and you know they'd be like you're you're nuts right and what's hard to appreciate in the moment for all of us is the length of the experiment. So one of the things that I'm a big fan of is asking people, I'm like, do you know the inputs and outputs of your coaching or your work? Because don't like, I worked with an athlete for a year, six months. Like I don't own the whole thing. I don't really know. I have people who've been crossfitting with me since before we owned San Francisco CrossFit for 16 years, they've been training with me. So I own all of the bullshit. I own all the movement mistakes. I own all the incomplete positions. I own, like I own 16 years of training with someone. And what's difficult for people to appreciate with food or movement, health or coordination or quality or, or skill is that the timeframes are so long. It's really difficult for us to apply the black box model, say inputs and outputs. And so oftentimes what looks like a um, a, an outlier is actually just a normal expression of the system if you've given the system enough time to express itself. So, you know, yes, that will be a problem for you in 20 years, 
but that's not why I'm telling you to do it differently now. In the, in the now, I incentivize you because you can go faster and you can work out harder and you can do all these things, but it's really difficult for us to appreciate as humans the long scope of it. So even if you reduce your sugar one day a week, that would change your life, right? Like, um, you, know, an ex, you know, getting people to eat vegetables and fruits again for the first time can change their life. So, you know, instead of saying, hey, those blueberries are full of sugar, I'm like, well, you know, what did you, you know, what did you pull out? What did, you know, and then let that experiment run for a long time. You know, I am now 236 pounds. Last year, I deadlifted 605. I, I did a hundred mile mountain bike ride. I like, I am more skilled and a better athlete now, but people are like, how'd you get so strong? I'm like, well, I've been lifting weights intensely since I found cross. I was lifting weights beforehand and deadlifting and doing Pavel stuff. But I have been doing this thing three to six days a week to seven days a week for over 15 years. You just need to let the thing run and it will work. In some days, you don't have to be heroic. Sometimes I just go in and, and press, a strict press, and I get on the slack line. I'm like, well, that's what I had today. You know, I did something. I'm taking you back to your wife again. Is 20 years of just super duper close right? Super duper close proximity, yeah. work, workout, raise kids. Basically you've been glued at the hip for 20 years. Yeah. It, tell me about managing a relationship like that. Is it easy? Is it hard? Is it like, how would you describe your relationship with your wife in terms of its success and, 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 and how you did it? Uh, you know, and business partner and boss yeah. and employee and just you guys have all the different hats you wear. Uh, you know, a couple things. One is um, you never have it dialed. Like when, when did you win fitness? Let's, let's discuss this for a second. Like when, <laughs> when did you decide you won health? Cause this is how we're playing this game. There's a great book called finite and infinite games, which looks at sort of the problems of, of complexity of modern life, applying some aspects of game theory. And not that we should gamify everything and like, Hey, I did the dishes. So I, I get points, right? I get sex points or something like that. That's, that's all I'm talking about. It's about if you apply and look at, Every problem is I can win this or lose this. And that's what we did with fitness for a minute, right? I'm winning fitness. I took my shirt off and I looked good on this Instagram post with my abs one second, right? This max PR, everything's going to be okay as soon as I can bench 300. That is never going to, you're never going to get there. And so the problem is that those games, finite games have clear winners and losers and clear, clear rules. Look at your life. Look at your relationships. What are the rules there? How do you define winning? You don't. The only way you can win a finite game is to play by the rules when like that's, that's soccer An infinite game doesn't have rules. The only way to win is to keep everyone else in play, which means that you're never ever going to arrive and be able to ghost ride your relationship and be like, Hey, I nailed it. Like I'm the best husband today because tomorrow you're going to have to be the best husband that day and the best dad, and you're going to fuck it up. And what you need is a system where radical transparency, radical honesty, and we have this thing called the feelings meeting where we sit down and we say, how am I doing as a husband? What, you know, where are you going? Because it is a lot. And I don't think everyone is, is set up to be able to work with their partner. But I'll say that for me, I can't imagine working with anyone else or having any other partner in this situation. So, um, you know, uh, I'm married to a Titan. She is one of the most extraordinary, badass, driven women I've ever met. And that doesn't mean it's easy. You know I mean, that doesn't mean she's not, you know, a complex 
you know, nurturing person, but it also means like, I, I don't, I don't get to bully her or ro- rant, railroad over her. And, and what I've had to do is, or learn to do is a couple of things is one, appreciate that Juliet and I are on the same team. Always. She's on my team. So sometimes in my man brain, I'm like, oh, my wife's keeping me down. She's won't let me express myself to my school. I got to, you know, but I realized that when Juliet has an objection or sees something, she sees something that I don't. It's like having this coach all the time that like, Hey, you may be missing this. But instead of like fully self-actualized language where she's like, hey, hon, she'd be like, that's a bad idea or you can't do that. And instead of me reacting, I'm like, I wonder what Juliet's seeing here that, you know, that she's appreciating that I'm not appreciating or not understanding. And that mindset is really, really crucial. So one is we have a mechanism by which we can sort of auto-regulate. We can talk. Two is that I really try to shift my mindset where I can appreciate where Juliet's coming from and appreciate that she's got my best interest at heart. And that, that really is the, the operating principle. And then three, I learned to say this thing, like, you may be right about that, you know, or tell me more about that. And so my, my instead of my defensiveness or my, you know, because I'm a maniac too, you know, we can just be maniacs. You know, one of us has to be, you know, hey, I, I can hear that or listen to that in a way that maybe, you know, you don't have that capability. So that, that is what's allowed us to continue to, um, you know, get better at being married, get better at running these businesses. Cause it is, it's man, it's, it's a lot, you know, in the COVID crisis, you know, this summer I developed hiccups for nine days. I had nine days of hiccups. What? Cause I developed this ulcer from being so stressed about the gym being closed. Right. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd get an ulcer. I'd get the heartburn. The heartburn would cause the hiccups, which would cause more heartburn, which would cause the hiccups, which would cause more heartburn. And I had, to, they put me on Thorazine. Hey, that didn't work. Oh went, yeah. Wow. I was on a horse trank level dose of gabapentin. That was the, finally the thing that knocked it down. Like I was on a freakish amount of gabapentin to try to stop this spasm because I was like, oh my God, I'm now going to hiccup the rest of my life. And How did you eat? Is, How did you eat? Sorry. I, I know I that's lost, digressive. I lost, I lost 11 pounds. I mean, I really oh. like, I was, it was super, super gnarly. I was disabled. Couldn't just take two Tums. <laughs> I, I, I try that a lot. Um, you know, Julie had to sleep in the other room because the hiccup, I basically would hiccup like six, eight times a minute. And, um, you know, it was just crazy whole body convulsions. And, you know, my point is that is a side effect of the amount of stress we're under. And, you know, like every family, we're under the stress. So what is your mechanism to cope with that? What are your coping strategies? Is it alcohol? Is it THC? Is it sugar? Is it, is it, you know, sauning? Is it, you know, is it exercise? What, what was yours? What was yours? Well, we, we sauna a ton, you know, because it forces us to shut down. And then we exercise and we, we prioritize our sleep. Like we are, I mean, t- I mean, my daughter, Georgia is over here right now. And she'll tell you like, she has to turn her phone in by 10 PM during the week. It has to live in our room. And last night I was like, it's 9.40 time to turn your bed in, your phone in. And she's like, I still have 20 minutes. We're like, you got to go to bed. And so we prioritize sleep like it's our job in this family because frankly, it's one of those first principles that if you're not sleeping at least eight hours a night, I can't really tell what's going on. You know, whether it's pain or performance or anything. When uh, uh, a couple uh, a couple weeks before I lost my job with CrossFit, I, start, I decided I was going to give up drinking. And then like somewhere, and, and thank God, because it w- that was a great mechanism when I, when I was under the stress of first losing my job, I immediately just started taking control of my life. Like every, like I became an internal control freak and it yeah. was probably one of the greatest things that happened to me because I was losing control of my exter- external world. Right. 
And so basically I'm just sharing that that was the mechanism that I used to sort of manage my stress. I start just really dialing in everything. Sleep is not one of those things. I kind of just work until like my eyes are burning and then just crawl into bed. That's worked, but, um, that's worked for you for a long time. And I think yeah. that's, that's one of those things that speaks to some of this greater conversation that we're having is that it's difficult. Well, you're like, well, look, I'm the best athlete in the room. Like, screw you. Like, I don't need to change my technique. You know, um, one of our coaches was a former gymnast and I'll, I'll, I can talk to her about this. She'll be fine. You know, we've been working on her control. She's very strong. She's now up in a different gym. She moved away, but she tore her ACL trying to jerk something heavy, but her, she ended up with a snake back under that jerk. And in that position of snake back, where she's literally like got a curve in the middle of her back, she doesn't have any hamstring control because her pelvis is cranked over. So her hamstrings and glutes are turned off. And so when she jerks without hamstrings and, and, and glutes, because of the pelvis in that position, she ends up just going right through and shearing her ACL off. Why? Because she's so strong. She's jerking like 250 pounds at like, you know, 130 pounds, like she's freakish. Right. But that's something where she's like, well, this has always worked for me. Look how strong I am. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, that bit you in the butt. You know, you cannot get away with sleep because it's worked for you. Now you can get away with eating like shit until you can't You can get away right. with exercising until you can't, you can get away with your shitty hip mobility until you can't. So right. instead, that's why we have to be pointing positive that we have to give people right. tools so they can make better decisions. Have you been getting, uh, and, and just to, and just to finish that previous thought I was having, by the way, so my life actually has been one, especially since I found CrossFit increment, like none of it happened overnight, but my life has incrementally got better and better and better for 15 years. And what do yes. I mean? Better and better. I'm more, I've, um, I mean, there's a lot of factors, but basically working on my health. Like when I came to CrossFit, I smoked and drank Coke. And then after a year of CrossFit, I stopped smoking and stopped drinking Coke because they didn't mix. And then there was some peer pressure and just all of those things. But slowly, it's become, you know, better and better and better. And now I don't think I'll ever eat. I mean, I can't see myself. I have no cravings for sugar since I started the carnivore diet. I do have cravings for greens, and I shove them in there. But um, in this 20-year relationship, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating because this is, this is why I keep coming back to this because it's fascinating because to, I do believe that two matches brighter, do burn brighter than one. And I believe that if you can find a mate who's an amazing teammate like you found and like I found, life can be just incredible. But I also think that it's important that people know that it's not easy. By not easy, I mean when it's easy, it's fucking easy. Like you're on a six-month streak and you haven't had one disagreement and fucking you're high as a kite and it's just awesome. But there can be sections in there that you have to push through and maybe push through is not even the right term but every single time my wife and I have a hiccup and we make it through to the other end it was always worth it you know why is that honestly different than any other relationship that you have you know I think the key is if you if you look at this as like fitness is easy work is easy my all my relationships are easy I mean you know the thing is it's it's a practice and the second you stop appreciating as a practice, you know, and you, you can hear all the maxims like, um, you know, you know, married in the bedroom, strangers in public, right? Where like the formality and the respect and the kindness, you know, you can, you can be intimate and let your guard down when you're in the bedroom. But the rest of the time, you should treat that person like you've met them for the first time. You're trying to woo them, right? Not, you know. That I think is, a, is an idea around that you'll never win this. You better work on it every day. 
And some days you're going to really suck and you need to figure out what's going on. And, you know, you know, if you want the great tranquility, be prepared to sweat the white hot beads. If you want a really deep, meaningful relationship, be prepared to work your ass off. It's much easier to go on Tinder and never have that. That's easier. It's terrible. I think that's a terrible, it would never work for me. You know, we you, laughed. You've never the- even seen, you've never even seen Tinder. Twice. <laughs> and I was like, I, this is a bad idea. And, um, you know, what I'll, what I, I think is, um, you know, I laugh all the time, Juliet, we, you know, the Onnit kids are all into this polyamory thing. Right. And I'm like, Juliet, can you imagine managing one more intimate relationship with another adult? She's like, Nope. And I'm like, <laughs> let me have, I mean, I'm like, I'm sure, I'm sure for two seconds, the sex is wild and it's, and then all of a sudden you're like solving problems and doing laundry and arguing who's picking up the kids and right. And, and there's a lot going on in enough to meet the needs of a single family. You know, I, I, there's just, I can't imagine spreading myself out any further because I'm at my limits of trying to do a good job with the family I have currently, you know, and it is easy. It's easy to mess it up. It's easy to, it's easy to, you know, fall asleep at the wheel and do something and take your partner for granted. And that's why, you know, you've got to be engaged every day with play you know, Juliet and I love to ride bikes. We love to paddle. We love to run rivers. We love to train together. And that's one of the things that gives us that moment of where we're not just working. We're not just CEO, you know, founders. We're also like, we remember why we like to ha- hang out with each other. And Juliet is my best friend, you know, and it's, she's not the only person with which I derive emotional security, but you know, that is the thing. And the more I feed that relationship, the more freedom I have, the more security I have, right? If I, the better job I do at taking care of Juliet and nurturing our relationship, the easier our relationship is. Isn't that weird? Yeah. The energy, um, thank God my wife taught me this before we had kids that I would be like, man, why do the dogs like you so much more? And she's like, cause I put more energy into them and I spend more time with them. Mm. I was like, oh, <laughs> that was, no that was, wow. Hold on a second. Let me figure yeah. that one out. And, you know, I spend time and I care and I scratch them and then they'll like me more. I'm not and when they to... like me more, I get, a, I get more out of them. That's Life's right. It's so weird. These dogs are great. These are the greatest dogs ever. Yeah. Um, not to make everything a fitness journey, but um, you know, your needs change. And if you're not communicating that, if you're not in some kind of, if you don't have ways to identify what's working, not working, ways to talk about it. You know, I had, I am a um, single child of a single working mother, um, alcoholic dad. My dad was basically the great Santini. He was captain of the football team and flew F4s, you know, at college and, and um, estranged from me and a lot of, lot of trauma as a kid. And, you know, seven years ago, I was carrying around this anger and I got into therapy to feel my feelings because, you know, the things that were allowing me to get up in front of groups and drive hard, were also destroying me, right? Things work until they don't work. And when I started, Julia was like, hey, I think you need to talk to a counselor because you were super angry and it's not great for you. And, uh, you know, now I have all these feelings and they're so annoying, all these feelings. Beautifully put, by the way, and it's not good for you. Oh, yeah. Like she told you that, yeah, it's not you know, good and, for you. Oh, man, and, and thank God, you know, I went and, and talked to someone and, you know, the stories that just about my childhood that came out when Julia was like, a, I don't know, and the therapist was like, you know, and my point is like fundamentally the, the problem with what's going on right now in society is that brains are social organs. So if you want a brain to actually be a brain, it has to be around other brains. 
Otherwise, it's not a brain. So there's a TV show called Alone right now where everyone goes off into the woods and lives for three to five months. And what drives every single one of the persons out is that they're alone. They're not alone other people. It doesn't matter what kind of sociopath you are. You have to be around other people. And, you know, what I, what I want just to appreciate for everyone is, you know, you need that sensitivity. You need those feedback mechanisms. You have to be around other people. And that's work. It's just going to be work. So you better have some kind of shared experience and shared value system. Otherwise, it's not going to work. You have, you have two daughters? I do. And, and, how, and how old are they? Georgia is 16 in April. And Caroline is 12, just turned 12. So, so you guys were together four years before you had a kid? Yeah. Is that a good amount of time? I don't know. Julia didn't think she'd get pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Juliet, uh, you know, honestly, oh. uh, she, uh, she, you know, Julia had thyroid cancer when she was 19 and really okay. was convinced that uh, she wouldn't be able to get pregnant. And lo and behold, uh, she talked to her endocrinologist about this. Hey, Kelly and I are thinking about having kids and, you know, I'm really worried. And he was like, no, 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 you don't have an endocrine problem. You just don't have a thyroid. There's a big difference. And she's like, you don't understand. Like, and she's like, well, call me when you get pregnant. And then Julia got pregnant like the next day. Hey, there's, there's a monkey. So in short, <laughs> you know, we, you know, Georgia wasn't surprised because we tried to make a baby and made a baby, you know, there's no surprise there, you know, and um, we, we know how the birds and the bees work, but um, you know, we were also critically poor at the time. I mean, you, you know, when we were in the Mercedes, you know, day in the life of a star, when we were in the Mercedes, that was the car I could afford. It was a $2,900 Mercedes. You know, we had just bought this house, emptied every bank account you know, didn't get any help from family. We just like, we, we were super broke. It wasn't that long ago that, and we're still feel super broke, but it wasn't that long ago that, you know, we had a whole different set of, of issues. You know, it's just the world, the world has changed a lot, you know, for sure. And, uh, um, you know, Juliet and I have, you know, we met each other and we were both dirtbag rafters and river runners. And then she went to grad school and I went to grad school and we just started working at it. And it's amazing the size of the ditch you can have if you dig a little bit of a ditch every day. The f- you're you're such a good um, human and role mo- human because you're a great role model on so many levels. You're you've had a relationship for twenty years. You've raised two daughters. Um, your your profession is giving to people and making them better. There's thousands of videos on YouTube that you've given away for free. Oh shit, God, I have so many questions for you. Um, it's it's really it's really it's it's really remarkable what you've done. You should be so you should be so so proud. And um, yeah, just congratulations. It's awesome. It well, is really awesome. I really appreciate that, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like this is the only thing I know how to do. I love coaching. That's it. So you know, it's sort of that effortless effort. Like you don't have to motivate me to go to the gym. Like I love to train. Well, I also love to do this. You know, I, a few years ago, got a tattoo below the elbow. Because, uh, by the way, one of, one of the nicest tattoos I've ever seen on a oh, human being. You did really a good job with that. Thank you. Yeah, it's cool. Well, you know, cool. now, that I'm, now that I'm bald and have a tattoo, uh, I, f- I finally have my, like, full coach. Like, you know, you can tell I'm a coach because I have tattoos <laughs> and I'm bald. And now I'm growing a beard again. So You need like a whistle and shorts or that are too pretty short, much, too. Pretty much. So, um, <laughs> you know, I got this tattoo below the elbow because I was pretty sure I never wanted to work for someone ever again. And that was me officially 
like burning the bridge. Like, look, I'm not even, you couldn't even hire me because I have a tattoo that sticks out below my shirt, my t-shirt. Right. And that was the reminder that I'm all into this thing because this is the thing I want to do. I love coaching. I love teaching. There's, we haven't moved the needle enough. There's so much work and opportunity. There's so many other communities that we need to serve. You know, um, I, I appreciate that, but also I feel like I've just have enough experience now to really make my case clear and I've had enough relationships and enough, you know, enough travel where I can finally have the, the language and the lexicon to sort of talk about what's important and vital. And I feel like I'm just getting started. Like the last 15 years have really just been my apprenticeship. And okay, I'm not, no longer a beginner. Now I feel like I finally understand a little bit. Like I remember being in, you know, early on, Mike Bergner was very nice enough because of Eva T. I was able to go down and, and, and assistant coach with Mike Bergner's early Olympic lifting workshops, right? Like I, I ran the, the workshop or ran the workshop. I was able to assist the workshop with when OPEX came through like OPT, when all those guys, AFT were there. And um, you know, what Bergner allowed me to do was sleep on someone's couch, show up and keep my mouth shut. I remember watching him coach thinking I'll never be able to be as fast or know as much as this human. I need to absorb as much as I could and now I'm like, oh, no wonder he could see so much. He had 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 hours of experience. And he was able to distill it down into the simplest ideas. I mean, this is why Mike Bergner was one of my early senseis, because I really appreciate that. And now I appreciate it even more because I feel like I've just you know, logged my 20,000th hour, you know, and I am beginning to become competent at this thing. That's not true, but I understand that that mindset of yours is what makes you, you've been competent since the day I met you, but <laughs> I understand <laughs> I and I know you're being so sincere sorry. and believe that because that's why you're, you, you know, you're a guy standing, someone saying how, how, Kelly, how did you get so good at walking? And then they, they look down at your feet and they see that you live on a treadmill. Like, like, right. like you were saying, it's the only thing you know how to do. And, it. and it's like, yeah, and you, and you live and breathe it. There was a. I, I feel free to correct the story. There, there was at one point that um, we were talking many, many, many years ago, or I heard through the grapevine or whatever, and you were like, "Hey, I'm going to make a video every single day for 365 days." And I remember thinking, and it was all going to be around supporting Mobility Watt or what's now as the Ready State. And I remember thinking, "Oh fuck, he's so smart for doing that. That's discipline. That's structure. That's practice. That's boundaries." Oh, and you and you, and it's, you got it and it all is fucking he's going to balance it all on the fucking head of a needle because it's all going to be focused on this one fucking thing how did you tell me about that journey was it hard how'd you come up with the idea no. were there days that you were like fuck it i want to quit was it like i mean tell me about that because i think that should be kind of the lesson plan for anyone i kind of tell people that story all the time they're like how do i get started i go make a video for 365 days and post it <laughs> i mean it's like it has <laughs> no. everything in there now my children are so good at that. Like, you know, TikTok, you know, Snapchat streaks, you know, the kids are doing that. Um, you know, when we started the video a day, um, iPhone didn't have a video camera. You couldn't automatically upload. So it was actually kind of a pain in the ass. And my video friends who are actually like, you know, people forget that you make great documentaries, more than one documentary. Um, you know, uh, I love the documentary about arm wrestling. You know, it's one of my faves. But um, Thank you. 
you know, what I realized is that I had to get good at one take that I didn't have time to edit and I didn't have time to really fuck around with sound and quality. And I just need to be topical. And I was so transparent in where I was, what I was doing. And YouTube was barely a phenomenon, right? So it was very new. So I lucky I saw this idea. I had done that before with a poem a day. I wrote a poem a day for a year. And um, so I knew that it got, once you get into the mode, suddenly you start to see content and you are having ideas and it's always running in the background. So you don't have to like, what am I going to talk about today? Because, you know, at day 275, you already have a, a list of things you want to talk about. And the discipline is actually doing it, of course. But, you know, it was actually Tony Budding, bless his little heart, um, the original media director. You know, we were flying back from an affiliate gathering and we were making some content with Hollis at uh, across the Santa Cruz that would drip out like the original two minute drills. And it would drip out. Like I made a whole bunch of content, but every three weeks or something, a video would come out. And I remember being like, Tony, I, I need, I have a lot more to say. And he was like, what the hell are you going to say? You don't have that much to say. Like you think you can make content every day kind of challenge me. He's like, I was like, I need a <laughs> section on the CrossFit main site about self-care and mobility. And, and, uh, and he really was just like, nah, it's not really, it's never going to work. And there's not enough content. And I was like, fine. So I went home like the next day and started mobility wad. And I was so clever because no one used the word mobility. And now that word, I don't even know what that means anymore. And I was the first, I do, I do, I do. I looked on the ready state. Website. Oh, there you go. I, I, uh, I know what it means. I was the first wad, anything. There was no wad. There's no, you know, sobriety wad, faith wad, mentality wad. There's no, there's 10,000 wads. But Giant like, wad. Dude, they're, they're all of them are there. And so, you know, one of the reasons we changed our name was that there was just so much confusion about what wad you were and, and they must be the same because they have wad in the background. And, um, so I started making a video a day and some days I missed, but most of the time I didn't. And sometimes I would get home at 10 o'clock, you know, pass out on the couch cause I was exhausted and we had babies and Juliet would be like, you know, you need to film something for today. I'd be like, oh, okay. Okay. And I'd be like, welcome back to mobility wad. And so the discipline, so she was the boss. So she was the boss back then too. Well, she, she was the, you know, she used to have the world record for most internet stretching videos for sure. Filmed like she was a cinematographer for internet stretching videos. And then, uh, you know, the couple other people have that title. Now, Eric Maciel is probably the current world record for uh, most, most content of Kelly Starrett ever. Um, But what's amazing to your point is, you know, I, got my, I got my beginnership out quickly. I, I became much better at looking at camera, talking, incorporating, thinking on my feet and the practice volume. I mean, we've made what four or 5,000 pieces of content now and maybe more plus all the ancillary stuff. Plus the video. you just get good at it. And I understand why like Justin Bieber can go play in front of a, you know, he's played in a hundred malls a thousand times and then you just can't, you can't replicate that practice there. And thank goodness, because, you know, it's so difficult to make a piece of content, um, you know, edit it that I, we do everything in one take. So I just have a concept. I talk about it one take. I don't stutter. I don't stop. I just, you know, get it out. I don't say shit. I don't say, um, and, and, you know, and I I, do that sucks. I do. God damn it. You, you'll do better when you're on the other side of the camera, you know, you have this both sides piece, but I only have one job. I'm not looking at the other thing. And so, you know, thank, thanks for Tony for really saying, Hey, there's not room in our CrossFit universe for that. And we're not interested in that. That was what he told me flat out. Right. Otherwise, you know, there's a real potential that 
Mobility Wad would have been part of the, the CrossFit ecosystem, but he was like, you know, it, it's not something we're interested in because no one knew it. it was a seatbelt back then. And he was like, I don't think, I don't think we need seatbelts. Oh, thank you. Wow. Thank you. That's good. We're only going 17 <laughs> miles an hour. Like what's the big deal? Eric Maciel works for you. Oh, he is the master. You lucky son of a bitch. I didn't even know that. Right. You know, he, uh, uh, you know, uh, Eric, Eric is a uh, mad genius. You know, I don't, I don't think people realize the, you can, you know, if you owned a CrossFit gym back then, you know, we, you, there was no rogue. We made our own squat racks. We, you know, we wielded our own pull-up bar. We, you know, you know, uh, Adrian Bosman made our first prowler, you know, those, those things, that was the day. And, and now, you know, to run a successful gym, you really have to be very sophisticated about membership and, and tracking. And like, you can't just sort of wing it. Now people expect sort of a level of professionalism. It's very difficult to run a good tidy affiliate, have coaches, health insurance, do it on the legal. Well, the same thing is true on the other side. You know, it used to be just Julian and I and mobility wad, you know, and some coaches and, and then one person, and now, you know, our daily staff is nine people. You know, we have a huge organization plus our affiliate partners who help us with social media and, and, you know, internet advertising. And, you know, if you want to play the game now, you have to become very, very sophisticated. I mean, have you seen our new setup with the, you know, we call it the super cube, you know, our lighting is better. Our content is better. The cameras are better. Like you just, if you're going to play the game now, you have to be a little bit more sophisticated. Damn. It's hard. By the way, the the web the website is beautiful. I'll tell that to Juliet. I have nothing to do with that. Yeah, the ready state is beautiful. Everything about it, the colors, how the the text moves around as you scroll better. down through it. You yeah, know, I, I think I think that was really the again. You know, you're never going to arrive. You're not going to say a one business, right? So if you if you apply that that the the key is to go out and practice and and get a little bit better today, and you'll get the rest of it tomorrow. I mean, really, you know, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything you know, and, uh, that can not be more true about how you run your family or being a member of your family. Um, you know, training in your garage, uh, you know, thank God. I mean, thank God I discovered CrossFit because all the gyms are closed and I have a full garage gym at home and I know how to train and everyone, everyone in my community knows how to train themselves. I mean, just thank goodness we, we, we had a little time to practice and be beginners. I don't think you can just be beginner anymore. I mean, I don't know if, if I write supple leopard today, anyone even notices maybe, you know, I'd like to leave on this note that if you want to become smarter in terms of increasing your vocabulary, increasing your self-awareness, increasing what you can offer to other human beings, how to make yourself a better person, how to make it people, better people, you can go to the Ready State at YouTube and see all the free videos you want. If you'd like to dive in deeper, Kelly offers four courses uh, and a ton of other stuff on the website. You should go to the Ready State. I was on there for four hours. Um, I didn't see one thing to buy. I'm sure there's something in there, but it's it's basically just a place to land and just start getting... Um, making yourself a better person. And it's not even if you're just a movement person or it's not even just for yourself or it can just be about yourself. But really, like as a parent, I was like watching the videos. I'm like, oh my God, I need to pay attention to this. I need to be pay attention to that. There's life lessons in there. It's kind of everything. You're a really dynamic human being. Um, 
your relationship uh, that we should do full episodes. I'd love to know just tons about your relationship. We both are in relationships for 20 years and I never thought that was a big deal. But as I look around me today, I realize it is a big deal. And having and being having a loving wife and being a loving husband is important and raising kids. I would love to talk about a whole show about your history with CrossFit, how you found it to the end, get, you know, even, even dip into some of the hard times that, um, that CrossFit Santa Cruz had with CrossFit HQ, all that stuff. I mean, there's a ton of stuff to unfold, but we're at a hour and 51 minutes. I know. No one's listening. <laughs> uh, you know, hopefully Hey, you can- how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? You can find some sound bites that are worth, you know, you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, we, the, the process, it, like I said, the way to think of it is we're a bunch, a lot of us who are around for a minute, we're a bunch of kids who grew up together and it's difficult to appreciate how much we didn't know and how much experience we have now. And then also appreciating that sometimes, you know, you have, you hang out with different people at college and then you come back and you work together and you realize that everyone has a common language and there are some misunderstandings, but we're also adults now. I'm just, I'm an adult and I can put my ego more, put my ego aside better than I was able to before. You know, I don't need, you know, I've had enough success where I can, you know, I don't have, it doesn't have to be about me all the time. I mean, I like it to be about me, but it doesn't have to be about me. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to be on team queen, you know, like, I don't know if you watch the crown, but the, the metaphor for me is like Prince Philip you know, is such a little whiny bitch. He's married to the queen. He's like, man, what about me and my career? And I'm like, dude, you married the queen. Get on team (laughs) full time. I'm like, get on team queen, you little whiny bitch. Like, it just kills me, that guy. And and then I'm like, well, am I on team queen? You know, can I, you know? And um, now I'm, I'm better able at 47 to get on team queen, which means I think we have an incredible set of resources and tools and friends and if we don't take the next step and try to tr- continue to transform our society and our communities, shame on us because we, we figured some things out and it's, it's easier than we think, but we, um, you know, we all grew up together and it's okay to say, man, uh, you know, I lost track of you or we had that misunderstanding or, you know, uh, you know, you know, I was blacklisted for a minute in CrossFit, you know, and uh, it's great to be back in the community talking about the things that I've cared about for 15 years. CrossFit transcendence, CrossFit, CrossFit <laughs> resurgence. That's right. Kelly, I feel like um, my selfish um, uh, reason for doing the podcast of rekindling our friendship. I see the spark. I win. <laughs> <laughs> you, you win. I win. We both win. And uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to you for so long. It, it really means a lot to me. Uh, I really super- came into this thinking, why would he do this? But I really appreciate well, it. Well, because I don't want to be hairy and skinny my whole life. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Well, you're not. You're beautiful. My friend, it is great to see you. It's so And funny. hey, I love hairy and skinny. I'm hairy and skinny as shit right now. <laughs> I was kind of, it was my goal. Well, you know, what I realized is just Juliet and I are mountain bikers um, now. I carry around these quads and I'm like, do I really need to deadlift 600? You know, like to be able to be like, I'm the biggest, fattest mountain biker in the world right now. Like, you know, and uh you know, I really, I'm like, why am I so big? I'm like a circus bear, Russian circus bear on a mountain bike. And I'm like, maybe Harry and skinny was the way all along. <laughs> all right, brother. Thanks. Pal. Thank you. Yeah. Tell Juliet I said, hi. Done and done. Okay. Bye. <laughs>